Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash escapepod for your free audiobook download. Escape Pod 364 October 4th, 2012 Technorat by Brad Hafford Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Mer Lafferty. We're proud to say this week that our friends at Audible are sponsoring the show. Audible has an amazing collection of science fiction and fantasy, and it's getting better every month. I'm a subscriber myself, and I'm currently listening to the Dresden Files books, narrated by James Marsters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But some of my past favorites are The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, which is read by Jim Dale, and Red Shirts by John Scalzi, narrated by the awesome Will Wheaton. You can get a free credit just by going to audiblepodcast.com slash escapepod and signing up for 30 days. So happy October. We've got some great stories in line for you this month, starting with Techno Rat by Brad Hafford. Brad Hafford teaches critical writing and archaeology at the University of Pennsylvania. He is currently working on a project with the British Museum and is a graduate of the Odyssey Fantasy Writers Workshop in 2009. His blog is at wafford.livejournal.com. It's read for us by our hero from Pseudopod, Alistair Stewart. So file off that identification number. It's story time. Techno Rat by Brad Hafford West London was, as always, a buzz. Even at 4am on a chilly November Tuesday, electric motorcars whirred down King's Road, zipping people along, early to work, late from parties. The residential side streets, however, were quiet. Lined with parked cars, occasional street lamps and darkened flats, they dozed peacefully. Ornate houses huddled in gracefully curving queues, awaiting the sunrise with little attention to the two figures loitering outside their narrow, iron-fenced entryways. There it is, isn't it? the scrawny figure said, pointing to a parked car. Do you see? The taller man stared intently at the vehicle. See what? he said, his breath misting in the frosty air. Their eyes were fixed on a car, sitting at the curb of a constricted street in Chelsea, part of the fashionable Kensington district. It was a brown cabriolet, with a weather-worn foal at the top. An ageing example, its low-light number plates showed it to be registered ten years previously. Its MOT and inspection were up to date, but its bonnet was dented, and its windscreen cracked. Such an automobile did not belong in Chelsea, but neither did the two men examining it. The smaller of the two, impatiently tugged on the grey flat cap he wore. Pay attention, Mick, he sniped. We ain't got all night. Clipped words and rounded vowels marked his speech. The bells of St Mary's were ancient history, and the East End had long since been gentrified, but he? He was retro-cockney. I am paying as much attention as I've got, Artie. More, really. I, I just don't see it. It's a slight vibration, see? An hologram shift. It's called glitching. The generator keeps the image dynamic, right, so it has to refresh at a specific rate. He tapped his nose, a signal that he was imparting secrets. Oi, there it goes again. I still don't see it. And you think you've got what it takes to be a techno-rat? 
Look, it was Uncle Laszlo's idea, not mine, Mick said. His speech was nowhere near as thick as his teacher's. It carried the calmer, neutral accent of the Midlands. Oh, he was a great tea leaf, was Laszlo Utzborn. But he's been round for yonks since before the electric laws. Maybe his judgment's gone tits up. Oh, give me a break, Artie. I'm trying, you know. All right, all right. Look down the street. What do you see? A bunch of cars. No, you tosser. You see a bunch of targets. Now, which do you go for? Mick examined the narrow street. A mere alleyway, but packed with sleeping transport. It was a car thief's dream. Some of the latest models lay there, prime for the taking. But despite the calm appearance of the darkened streets, security was tight. Um, that one. Mick pointed to an angular contraption glistening like mercury frozen in ice. The shiny one with the big fins. Good God, could you be any more obvious? Even if you got past its AI, you'd be spotted in a second. Plus, it's all a show. The tattoo shark breaks down every hundred kilometres like clockwork. It is utter bollocks. Try again. Give us a clue. Watch for the tar, mate. Watch for the tar. The tar? Christ, you're green, and you? Tar and pitch. Glitch. But I don't see this glitch or tar or whatever it is. It's like I've been trying to show you. Watch this here cabriolet close like. Wait for it. Wait for it. There. Mick's light blue eyes flickered with recognition. Hey, I saw it that time. Like it glittered for a second. More like a nanosecond, mate. And as generators go, this one's shite. For the picosecond freaks, you have to be damn good. Artie positioned Mick by the passenger door of the car. Yeah, touch it, he said. Feel the roof. Mick pushed up the sleeve of his dark blue anorak as if to put his hand in a bucket of water. Oh, take off the gloves, you burk, Artie chastised. But what about DNA trace? Well, we're not boosting this one, are we? It won't matter. Mick peeled back the sleek glove he wore. A close-fitting neoprene designed to provide warmth was allowing precise finger movements. With bare hand, he rubbed the cold, ratty material on the car's roof. He withdrew quickly and stared at his palm. Then he felt the roof again. That's not right, he said at last. Nah, of course not. Like I said, this one is shite. Hologram don't even conform to the surface. That not right feeling is the five millimetre difference between the apparent surface and the real one. Mick put his face almost on the roof and rubbed the material again. Like a child lost in a new toy, his broad mouth turned up in a distantly entertained smile. Tall and ungainly, Mick was childlike in most respects, his blonde hair neatly trimmed in a boyish style, his cheeks smooth and round, his grin toothy, and his big ears jutted like wing mirrors from the sides of his head. He forgot the cold and continued to stroke the faux leather until Artie clipped him on the back of the head with a quick slap of his neoprene hand. Oi, didn't I tell you we ain't got all night? Mick's grin turned earthwards, and he looked at his mentor with an innocent pout. But it's fun, Artie. What is it makes it do that? Your brain is trying to make up for the difference between sight and feel, but don't go robbing just any car. If this were a good one, there'd already be alarms going off, sending your DNA to the cops. Got to watch out for the coppers, eh? Nah. Old Bill's thick as bricks. Easy to fool. It's the machines you've got to worry about. Got to know how to trick them properly. Mick smiled. That's what I'm here to learn, Artie, he said. That's just what I'm here to learn. The two thieves walked the alley away from the cabriolet and further from King's Road. A light frost had formed on the pavement, spidering across the flower beds resting in tiny but perfectly meticulous lawns and up iron gates at footpath entrances. Mick and Artie's sauntering feet crackled ever so slightly and their breath made collective steam puffs like ancient trains. 
Why do we go for the ones with hologram generators, Artie? Have you not sussed that out yet? They're the ones with real potential. You protect the thing which has the highest value, yeah? Make it look like shite to fool the thieves, like us. But the other ones have protection too, right? Well, mostly, but we're looking for the cream. Best of the best. See, most thieves sell for middle or low end, because it's easy. We rats don't sell for second best, do we? I guess not. But what about the police? Old Bill's off to the easy ones too. Make it too difficult for them, they leave you be. Can't suss nothing anyway. It's my mission to outsmart them. All of them. Every single one. Because when it comes to thieves, I am the best of the best. As they strode past the streetlight, Artie adjusted a mechanism in his uppercut pocket. Now, one of those camera spooks, Nick asked. It is. How's it work? Broadcasts a short-range signal that keeps streetlight cameras seeing nothing but ghosts. Clever little thing, innit? I'll say. Artie began to skip across the frozen pavement in an exaggerated way, puffing up his chest and hooking his thumbs under his jacket lapels. The jacket was tattered tweed, but genuine wool. Its sleeves were too long for his short arms, and its hem fell low across his faded trousers. I think I see glitch, uh, tar, here, Nick said, waving his gloved hand at an old Citroen. Artie glanced round at the rounded red beast. Yeah, tar, but it ain't worth it neither. Slow generator. He turned his head sharply. Hang about. What have we here? He stared in the direction of two flashy motors. Nick assumed his criminal mentor was appraising the golden Porsche with its supercharged capacitor, but was horrified when he realised he was not. Instead, he was staring at a compact, broad-ended car, sandwiched between the Porsche and a stately BMW. Checkered in vivid blue and neon yellow, this middle car was unmistakable for its design, the configuration of its lights, and the large letters across its doors, boot, and bonnet. Metropolitan Police you're not going to... Relax. It really a police car. Got a Pico Freak generator, mate. It looks like one. Clever, innit? What better way to keep a bloke from nicking your mower? Mick gazed at the checkered pattern. It made his head hurt. You can see tar on that. More like a feeling. I just know it in me gut. Now, clock it. See what we got. From inside his coat, he produced a package and began to unwrap it. Mick leaned closer to the car door, staring dizzily with crossed eyes. Don't touch it, you prat. Artie warned, don't even get close, I bet this one's already part awake. The big-eared novice backed off and sat down near the gold Porsche. Maybe we should give up on this one, he suggested, after a brief moment. I mean, it really does look like the old bill to me. Don't be stupid, you just sit there and you watch how it's done. Artie pulled his flat cap down and went to work. He took a short, black rod from his pack and waved it over the car's boot. Lights flickered along the grip and formed into numbers, and Artie whistled appreciatively. Next, he pulled out a pair of dark goggles, the earpieces wide and blocky. He tapped them with the rod he'd used to measure the hologram shift, and a low green glow spread out across the lenses. Finally, he donned the glasses and examined his target. Well, bugger me, he exclaimed in whispered awe. It's a Technodyne V38. Let me see, Mick said, standing quickly and flailing for the glasses. Let me see. This isn't a game, you know. Ain't no peep show, neither. But I want to see. How's it work? Matches the refresh rate, so as you can see through it. But this one's so fast, it's going to run my power out quick like. You take one look, that's all. Mick pulled the goggles unceremoniously from Artie's face and fumbled to get them over his own eyes. He ended up with one earpiece properly hooked and the other folding his jutted ear back against his head. Wow, he breathed at last. The refresh rate was rapid, but it had infinite harmonics that caused the image to stutter. 
In a bizarre green strobe light effect, Nick took in the most incredible car he had ever seen. It was stocky, but stylish, sleek in its angled lines, wedge-shaped with a fat back end and wide rear tyres that bespoke power. Squat in its overall design, it conformed to the basic shape of the police car it wore as a disguise. But it was infinitely more thrilling. The paint job seemed to sparkle in the low light and stammer with the refresh rate sink, but the colour was hard to discern. It felt more than looked like a metallic black with purple overtones. That is enough, said Artie, flicking a switch at the earpiece and causing the goggles to blacken. Power's important, you know. If we all had unlimited electric, the AI would already have us made. Technodyne's a top line, right? Only 16 of them known to be in Britain. Mick removed the goggles, still grinning from the image in his head. How can we sell it off, then? He asked as Artie continued to sift through his pack. Wouldn't it be easy to trace? Nah, we'll fence it in Monaco. Don't you worry about that, none. Got a continent-wide network for that sort of thing. Right, now we've got to get in. Quick-like. How? This thing's monitored for sure. Of course it is. I come prepared. Artie arrayed a few compact electronic tools on the pavement near the false squad car. Take out that kit I gave you earlier. Huh? Oh, yeah. Why'd I have to strap it beneath my coat anyway? You never, ever want to look like you're carrying something, mate. Gotta be casual. Besides, a boosted pack's easy to detect when assembled, and dangerous when disassembled parts get too close together. You're only carrying half of it. Mick unstrapped the pack and slid it out. About the thickness of his thumb, it was as wide as his shoulders, and had an unusual gyroscopic heft to it. He laid it on the ground near his companion, and watched as he slotted two cartridges at the sides. Immediately, a shudder ran across the pavement beneath Mick's feet, and a crackle of static caused the hair on his shins to waver under his trouser legs. The pack undulated as if alive, but eventually stilled. An unidentifiable smell lingered, a sweetly acidic tang in the air. That will cause a power spike on the main grid, Artie said, but the planks at central monitors will probably log it as an anomaly. Now, we have to wake this car up. Wake the AI? Are you crazy? That have a choice. It's the only way to find its report frequency. We do it quick enough, we take over that freak, we send a false report. That's the way it works, huh? Yeah, no faffing about now. Well, I figure it, we've got less than 30 seconds to find this car's report freak, blast its memory, and send the fake signal. Blimey, it's already awake. I've got a scan signal. Spike it. Spike it now. What? Spike it, you ass! Try it on the wheelbase! He indicated two leads coming out of the boosting pack with a nod of his head. Meanwhile, he typed furiously on a tiny computer keypad he'd folded out from one of the tools at the curb. Mick picked up the leads and jammed them against the upper right tyre hub. A blue-white aura surrounded it and travelled immediately along the axle, causing a flash of ghostly light over the car. The acidic smell turned suddenly and distinctively plastic. Melted silica, burned nanotransistors. Mick blinked. He blinked again. All he could see was a red after image of the blue light. The sights and smells didn't seem to phase Artie, though. He was still typing away and checking several miniature screens at once. Well done, Squire, he said. It was the first compliment he'd given all night. Did we kill it? Mick asked, rubbing his eyes. Nah, we just stunned it. Gobshots in the car industry never get the axle is connected all the way through, conductively at least, to everything else in the bleeding car. That jolt smoked the AI long enough to get us in and wipe its CPU. Boss another 30 seconds, I reckon. The car was starlight black and almost inconceivably sleek now. Its defensive disguise down. Even its number plates were dark. What about the scan signal? Preliminary. Did get the satellite. But it did give me the frequency and I hacked the report signal to send false data. In the virtual tracking world, right now, this car is on its way down Oakley. Thumb been boosted and it's racing towards the Albert Bridge. 
There it will go off and into the Thames across from Battersea Park. And the old Bill will be all over searching for it any minute. We've got to get moving, but slow, you know, casual, like nothing's wrong. Artie stuck a clawed tool into the recessed door handle. A few taps of sparkling keys along the tool grip and there came a metallic click. The door swung open, rolling back into the roof. He snaked his body under the steering column, forced out a section of the covering plastic and pulled out a set of wires along with a bogglingly complex nano-circuit board. A quick flash of another rod-like tool and a whisp of blue smoke ensued. The smell of fried components wafted. Yeah, this is a feisty one, all right. This one ain't giving up easy. Give me the prison gate. Um, is that more slang? No, it's an electronic component. Looks like a little crab. Mick searched the ground and quickly came up with an electronic crustacean. He handed it to Artie. What's it do? It traps the AI in an infinite loop, like putting it in prison. Meanwhile, we get control of the vehicle, but no major computer or system will function. So how do we drive it? Well, I'll operate the false tracker and replace my computer from my back. You'll do the driving. Where are we going? Chop shop in Basingstoke, if we've got enough power. Now move, you pillock. Old Bill's on the way. Emergency lighting filled the cabin, gleaming low-intensity red off silver levers and onyx buttons. Along with eight leads running to Artie's pack, Mick took his position behind the wheel. He breathed in the new car smell of rich upholstery and burnished metal, but coughed on the sharp aftertaste of burned electronics. The interior of the Technodyne was even sleeker than the exterior. Black leather, brushed steel, filled out the leading two-door decor. It was racing chic of yesterday, masking the technology of today. The electronic controls were there, and so were the gear lever and foot pedals. The manual mode was exactly what Artie needed, not to guide the car in an emergency as it was designed to do, but to force control away from the AI. He engaged it from his mini-computer through the leads that ran across his partner's lap. And we're started, Mick asked. It's AI wouldn't recognise my thumbprint even if it weren't in lock-up. Just relax, mate. I've got a start system isolated on this portable. I could tell it's why do your print. Mick's thumb hovered over the pad to the left of the steering column. He hesitated. It's not going to send my print out to be made, is it? Nah, don't want to go broadcasting that. But the satellites are going to see us move, and we'll have to give them a tracking signal. I made a ghost car on the virtual trackers pulling out of a drive, about three blocks from here. It will pass us in exactly 60 seconds, and then we become that ghost. It's a low-priority personal vehicle registered to a made-up bloke called Alan Swan. It ain't licensed for travel on motorways, so it don't need close observation. The car does not exist. But the system, and the old bill that monitor it, think it does. Even logged it travelling into London from Basingstoke five hours ago. Now, Mr Swan's going back home, and we write his signal from here on out. Mick pressed his thumb against the pad, and it gave off an orange glow. A warm sensation ran the length of his print, and the words Swan, Alan, appeared. The instruments on the dash sprang to greenish life. It materialised at less than 10%, and a blinking red low-power light dominated the display. Electric doesn't look good, Artie. All you have to do, now pull out while Ghost is here. Mick engaged the gear lever, and the Technodyne jolted. Watch out, if you wake enough for AI, it'll do us up a treat. I'm not used to posh cars. I drove an old farm van once. Do not cock up. The midnight wedge of Supertech edged from its position at the Chelsea curb and flowed into the alley. It stalked and strutted more than drove, a true piece of craftsmanship and technical supremacy. Even without the guidance of its AI, Mick felt like he owned the road. Artie's computer, however, generated a low-level hologram of the exterior that made it look as though the car was nothing more but a struggling voxel. Carefully, they shuffled to what had once been the outskirts of London at the M25. 
Even in the early morning, it was a massive knot of moving vehicles across a raised, multi-lane thoroughfare. Artie and Mick both knew they couldn't approach that road. It was heavily monitored, and their ghost car wasn't permitted on raised carriageways. They entered a roundabout. Where do we go from here? Mick asked nervously. Artie checked one of his mini-screens. Move up to Staines on the B3376. We'll get the A30 from there. Won't the cops be watching the A-routes? What do they know? Old Bill's just stupid. We nicked this here car right out from under their noses, didn't we? Well, quit your whinging. So long as it's mostly dark, our hologram will fool the watch, and our tracking signal will fool the virtual plod. Dawn lurked just beneath the horizon as an ugly Vauxhall approached Basingstoke on 2% power. Its hologram had slowed to a sputtering one-second interval, but finally the poorly disguised Technodyne limped onto a concrete stretch behind the garage. It powered down, dropping its final percent of electric. The shabby hologram faded, and the racing wedge materialised in all its darkened glory. Artie pushed a button on one of his tools, and the garage doors began to roll back. He and Mick stepped out of their flash conveyance and into the chill morning. Without power for a heater, it had been cold in the car, but the pre-dawn air outside was damp and all the more miserable for it. We've got to push this thing in, quite light. Mick tilted his head round skyward, and his cheeks grew rosier in the chill air. He watched a red spark of light hovering far up in the clouds. It seemed to recognise him, winked, and then darted like a warhead locked on target. I don't think that'll be necessary, Artie, he said. A sudden rush of wind almost knocked them off their feet. A metal contraption like a giant beetle formed out of the sky and set down ten metres away, its struts flattening to absorb the shock of landing at speed. The road rumbled with the strain of pushing back. Before the legs had rebounded to their upright position, a dozen men in Kevlar uniforms and black headgear leapt from the hopper, their right guns aglow with high stun settings. A cackled warning brayed, This is the police. Put your hands on your head or you will be stunned. The hopper pulsed with light. Red and blue swept the scene in alternating streaks, increasing the impact and urgency of the moment. Artie was stunned even without being tagged by an industrial phaser. His mouth fell open and he stared wide-eyed at the authoritative swarm that had descended upon him. He looked at his partner, who was much less childlike now that he was standing tall, bathed in blue and red. Somehow Artie hadn't noticed his earlier stoop. Now he stood to all of his two metres and he wore a stern smile. Better do as they say, Artie. The small man looked much smaller now. He slowly raised his arms and locked his fingers atop his flat cap. Black, uniformed police advanced on his position. Some ran behind to investigate the now-open garage doors, ordering the occupants to stand down. You knew, didn't you? You knew they'd be here. Well, Artie, Mick said, rounding the front of the Technodyne and pulling out a folding wallet. You could say that. He opened the wallet and keyed his thumb across it. A holographic ID popped up. Detective Inspector Walter Atkins, Metropolitan Police. Nice work, Inspector, said one of the officers behind him. This man was not arrayed in black armour, but instead wore a standard blue jacket and checkered hat. But how did you... Artie stammered. Oh, that's easy. I activated the AI of the gold Porsche in Chelsea, Atkins explained. It scanned my DNA and ID'd me quietly, then entered a special police mode we've installed in all AI drivers. It recorded the whole scene with you and the Technodyne. After we left, it pulsed the data to HQ. But Laszlo, he weren't no copper. Laszlo cut a deal with us and the Archbishop of Canterbury, a kind of dual repentance. He's not well. We forgave him a lot of sins in order to move in on the rats. See, 
Most police focus on the middle and low-end thieves because they're easy to catch. But me? I go for the best of the best. After all, maybe us coppers in so stupid. And that was our story. I don't have a whole lot to say this week. It's fall. The weather's doing weird things with nice crisp air, and then a whole lot of rain, and then a whole lot of humidity. And it's bringing me down. We're at the end of con season, or at least my con season. I know World Fantasy's coming up. But there's not a whole lot left until next year for me. Now I have to look inward for my science fiction fix. Well, that and Twitter and Facebook. Escape Pod is not terribly active on Twitter, but if you want to follow me, you can see Mighty Murr. So let's hear from our assistant editor, Nathan Lee, with your feedback. Greetings and salutations, Escape Pod fans. Assistant editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 358, Like a Hawk in its Gyre, by Philip Brewer. This was the tale of a engineering victim of politics trapped out in the woods with nothing to protect him but his bicycle, which proves to be more than up to the task. Most people enjoyed this story. Dem said, This was in all ways good enough for me to forget the writing and the narration and just get on with anthropomorphizing that bicycle. By the end, I was ready to take on Starkweather myself and give him what for if he didn't stop threatening the poor little mite. I did struggle a bit when its inner spider was revealed, but not so much I couldn't hear it purr when Kurt got back on. A writer has done a jolly good job if he can make me want to adopt a BMX-slash-tarantula hybrid that even the great Wiggo might have second thoughts about. Cutter McKay wrote, I enjoyed the mental shift of Kurt as the drugs kicked in, especially the way he continued to explain everything to Starkweather, even though the man was going to die. Yes, I see this for the narrative tool that it is, explaining everything to the reader, but since the action fit the effect of the drug so well, the contrivance didn't bother me. And the world building was just detailed enough to frustrate the crap out of me, because I want to know all the history of this world now. Obviously, some crazy political poo went down, and now they're under some sort of Big Brother-style government. I want to know more. I would also like to find Kurt and convince him to turn my car into a rhino hybrid. Not too much to ask? Cat T. Fish had a question for us, and an answer, too. Makes you wonder, though, if you can make bikes intelligent and deadly, where does it end? I'll tell you where it should end. Toilets. Grumpoid was inspired to a bit of Jurassic Park nostalgia by the bioengineered organisms wandering around the story. I wanted a clip of Jeff Goldblum waffling on about scientists knowing the difference between could and should, but I found the life-will-find-a-way bit instead, which led me off down a train of thought where tarantula scorpion bicycle chimera have had half a million years to evolve. Now, you see, they really could be legitimately creationist, being able to point to a named creator or at least a chef who cooked all their pre-existing ingredients together. So there you go. Science fiction is supposed to inspire. And within half an hour of reading this story, I have an image of a herd of semi-evolved venomous creationist bicycles, flocking like the Gallimimus as they hunt down their prey, possibly a pink tricycle. Or maybe that kid from The Shining. We just don't know. That's all we have for this week. Tune in next week when we extract the DNA of the comments for episode 359 Chasers and teach them how to bite. Thanks, Nathan. 
Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or charge for it. All other rights are reserved by our authors. Please check out our sister podcasts, Pseudopod for Horror and Podcastle for Fantasy, both at their .org domains. We're a pro-paying market, meaning we live on your donations, and because the economy sucks, it means that some of our regular subscribers are not giving as much as they did before. And I figured if we got some new supporters, either a one-time donation or you could set up a small monthly donation, that would help out a whole lot. So if you've got five or ten bucks lying around and you enjoy our stories, think about tossing a little bit our way. Because we'd really like to keep going and really like to keep paying our authors what they're worth. Or as close to what they're worth as we can. Alright, begging portion done. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. And that was our show for this week. Our quote this week comes from Edmund Burke. By gnawing through a dike, even a rat may drown a nation. Thanks for listening. Have fun. And be mighty. See you next week. <laughs>